Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex this week. Two races remain in 2018 and even though the championship is over as we talked about at length last week, um, we're still here to preview two races for you and everything else that's on the line anyway in the Formula One World Championship. So I'm Juad as always joined by Baden and um, Brazil. It's a popular stop on the calendar but for the second year in a row we come here with the championship itself sealed and the Constructors' Championship up for grabs for only Mercedes as well. So um, I know your feelings already about this race coming into it, but um, you know while we're talking about it, yeah, um, hopefully we get something good out of it anyway to discuss. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you might be listening to this from. But it is difficult to believe. It almost feels like Mexico was an eternity ago, and just the thought that there's still races ahead of us um all that momentum's just dissipated since hamilton secured that title and it is a shame because brazil's always served up some classic racing even though it's probably developed a a reputation in recent years off the track and we don't know how much longer that means the circuit will remain on the calendar but we do come here with at least one championship still on the table and there's a good chance Mercedes will be wrapping that one up as well the constructors come this weekend well it would take a double DNF you'd think for both cars to stop them from sealing that fifth consecutive title of course so it's all but all for them to to basically lose there but um you think that it would be done by the end of the race, regardless of where they finish positions-wise. But um, outside of the championship, there are some sort of unfinished narratives you could talk about it. Um, I guess the the big ticket item is Valtteri Bottas. Will he win a race in 2018? Um, given that there's two races to go, the luck that he's had all year. He was actually on pole here last year. He actually took back-to-back poles in Abu Dhabi and in Brazil, so um, didn't have any luck in Brazil, unfortunately, being beaten by Seb Vettel at that, on that occasion, but won the race in Abu Dhabi. So um, will Bottas's luck improve? Because I guess one factor in that is Lewis Hamilton and his habit of dropping off form-wise after he's secured the title. So 2015, if you remember, after Austin winning the title there, it was uh, Nico Rosberg who went on to win the last few races and um, Hamilton not winning a race for the rest of the season. And last year also, 2017, it was Vettel who won in Brazil and then Bottas in um, Abu Dhabi. So bit of a form slump or a bit of a hangover you could say for Lewis after he's won those titles with races to spare so would that as you've said all along does it give um, Mercedes a reason to let Valtteri win a race now? can easily envisage a, a repeat almost of not just the final two events but when you include Mexico there Verstappen back-to-back victories and you get the feeling the pressure off for for Vettel he'll put his best foot forward and Ferrari will prove once again when the pressure isn't there that they're they're really able to bring the best out in themselves and we do know at Abu Dhabi of course ever since that hybrid era commenced that Mercedes are essentially bulletproof apart from Rosberg's reliability issues in 2014 they've just swept it out one twos each year so you could easily see with Hamilton having secured his, that Bottas, if he's in position for what he's done, and be the, the least they could do to pay him back for, for one of, as I've mentioned so many times, multiple victories which have slipped through his clutches. 
Because as we've said before as well, he does face the possibility of finishing the season as the only driver in the top six and from the top three teams to have not won a race. So, you know, that would be unheard of, especially considering Mercedes are going to win the Constructors' Championship. But you would think that one of these two races would go in the favour of Valtteri Bottas. But, and you mentioned too Vettel there. He's won here three times, um, twice for Red Bull, one for Ferrari last year. And a bit of personal pride, I guess, to salvage. Um, you say they do better when the pressure's off, which doesn't really help as far as winning them championships is concerned. But um, now that it's all over, do we see Ferrari again put their best foot forward and win the last couple of races? I mean, it's not really going to do much difference to us as far as viewers are concerned. It's like, well, you know, why wasn't this form there? couple of races ago or say if anything it would just vindicate the theory that ferrari chokes under pressure rather than yeah, just so being it off the boil completely so for us it doesn't really make much of a difference but i'm sure for for them it's a matter of a bit of pride to salvage as well in this latter part of the season then you've got the question of daniel ricardo where or when will his misery end if not after abu dhabi can he um not even thinking about podiums here just let alone secure a, a top 10 finish in the last two races just so he doesn't have to <laughs> go on a rampage at the end of the year through the red bull factory what we're seeing with daniel ricardo is the the one bad day of how the joker became the man that he was when we see his promising and very humble optimistic origins being eroded very swiftly by a few events out of his hands and suddenly he becomes a cackling maniac much like fernando alonso has. (laughs) i think he's still got a few years before he's got any patch on alonso and we'll talk about him shortly as well but yeah you know for ricardo a matter of just actually for his confidence too because he wouldn't want to end his career at red bull in the way it's been going over the past few races and to go forward next year with a new team i mean having a bit of shaken confidence it wouldn't be the best thing to start a new relationship with of course there's already talk from pundits pundits including mark webber that not maybe so much from his own position but whether ricardo would be having doubts on his own end about his switch and that's not for anyone to know till he really sets foot in the Renault but as it looks he can't be thinking it's that bad of a call when the issues seem to be on that side with the Red Bull and his car in particular so whatever does happen for his future he's made that call and we can only hope that at least there's some kind of improvement on what he's had to experience again since Monaco when we unbelievably thought he, he might be a chance of pulling off a, a title bid even though he clearly didn't have the best car there and since then it's just been stuff of nightmares stuff of nightmares indeed but what makes me doubt these talks about oh you know he should be having he's having doubts about Renault next year is that look at where the factory team are Renault this year they've not had as many near reliability problems as Red Bull have and when you look at their progress over the last few races sure it's not been pretty but they've been scoring big points both cars so you know Renault in their battle with Haas for fourth in the constructors championship they're ahead by 30 points and you'd think that unless something drastic happened 
in the last two races that Renault are going to secure fourth. So that's a, a pretty big boost for them. So you'd have to think it's more so the marriage between Red Bull and Renault that's uh, causing these failures, if anything. And in a factory Renault where everything's made in-house, the power units, they get the, the best spec and everything, um, you'd think that Ricardo wouldn't have the same problems next year. But I mean, that's all just in theory. Again, the impetus is there. Once they get a, a world-class driver, not that Nico Hülkenberg doesn't have his skills, but when a proven winner and someone who looks like they belong in title contention arrives, they, they lift the team quite naturally. So you'd think that if they're making a natural inroad over the off-season and Ricardo can bring that little extra kick as well, then there's no reason why it won't be a successful move. Exactly, and just quickly on Renault as well as Haas, in fact, like they both came into the sport in 2016. Renault, I guess you consider them as a new entry given that they were completely different to the Lotus car of the year before. But from 2016, where both these teams were sort of, you know, bottom end of the constructors' table, to be fighting for fourth now a couple of years later, it just shows you the progress. Uh, Renault, of course, being a manufacturer team, they've got all the money in the world. But Haas, you know, being an independent, and even though they're getting that assistance from Ferrari, it's still great that we've had this competition between those guys. So, um, yeah, Renault deserve it if they finish fourth in the constructors. And um, Haas, they've done a pretty good job too this year for where they are and when you consider all the points that they've lost due to Roman Grosjean's issues and of course Australia which was a big haul of points that went begging um, they could easily be in the hunt for, for fourth next year Well it's most intriguing outside of that that battle where you, you would think that Renault's done enough to, to secure a fourth but Force India we know their story and the way they had to restart from, from scratch essentially at, at Belgium and they've done their own good job to accumulate those points and get some handy money in the door but they were very complimentary of Sauber's rate of development this season from when you think of Melbourne and they were uh, pigeonholed to be bringing up the rear for the balance of the season and now outright they're almost a top five team so it's striking just to show how quickly they've come on song whether it was a bit um, maybe sarcastic trying to bring on notions of a tie-up that's too close with Ferrari that's another question but you can see that it shows you within the midfield and perhaps that diminishing returns notion that Sauber's really um it's been rapid just to see how far they've come forward over really six or seven months well I did bring this up last week I think uh, in saying that the most improved team all year has been Sauber given where they started in Australia and then just the way that they've brought themselves to a point where you know both cars are contending for Q3 both cars are fighting for the points and Marcus Ericsson disappointed with finishing ninth and you know if ninth for them at the start of the year would have been a, a hap happily taken result but he thought that there was better um, the car was better than ninth so you know and all the more optimism for next year when Kimi Raikkonen comes on board with Giovinazzi so um, a lot to look forward to there on Sauber side but Force India quickly um, uh, being a bit humble there with, with Sauber they they themselves reckon they could be top three contenders next year with the the budget 
restrictions, I guess, that which they've had in the last couple of years sort of being unchanged. So, you know, what do we expect from them? And while I was doing the math this morning, if you add the points that they had before they got their points stripped and what they've scored in the second half of the season, they wouldn't be too far behind Renault at all. So they'd be in contention for finishing uh, fourth in the constructors for a third year in a row. But, you know, as it is, they're 15 points behind McLaren, a good chance of actually overhauling McLaren in the last two races because... In the nine races we've had since the mid-season break, um, McLaren have only scored 10 points compared to the 47 that Force India have scored. So that's a to then come back and finish sixth overall after essentially just getting half a season's worth of racing, it is pretty incredible. And you can see with that injection of, of capital from Lawrence Stroll and the jury is out on his son Lance, what he is capable of, but he... He deserves that opportunity to prove what he can do in a half-decent car. He's been pretty handicapped, and no one could argue at Williams. So you would think that Otmar Zafnauer as well, he seems like a, a person who knows what he's talking about. He doesn't spin um, hot air around. So I think that they've really got to take it seriously, and it would be refreshing if it does come to pass that they're realistic podium contenders much less victories but just to see them take it to that next step which uh, going back to when they started as forced india at least in 08 and and now whatever identity they assume for 2019 just having some variety there it would be great and if anything the the aero regs that do come in track for for next year it would be welcome rather than having to wait another two years before anyone comes close to to the mercedes ferrari and then i guess red bull triumvirate yeah it'll be nice to see them how they are with the chain of uh of financial restraints off them so um how quickly they can develop and we saw after that mid-season break that they were able to bring parts quicker to the car and the developments that they were holding back pretty much all year due to financial constraints that it just made an immediate impact as soon as they they hit the track so for a team that has such little buck they do get a lot of bang and hopefully now putting a bit more money into the team next year we'll see them um, move forwards as as we've said so that'll be great and as far as Lance Stroll is concerned I'm I'm still surprised that they haven't announced him yet for next year at Force India it's it's pretty much a formality but you know why not just get it out of the way altogether I think um, there was a <clears throat> talk a while back from could have been Zuff now or one of the the heads at Force India that they were doing it out of respect to Ocon to let let him reveal his plans for next season without being seen to be pressuring him and shoving him out the door and they are respectful of of where he sits and the way that he's really been unfairly cast aside in this entire process. Well yeah given that since then we haven't really heard much about Ocon's own future either so um, given that he was a part of them finishing fourth in the constructors last year and then also this year the incredible comeback that they've had it's just it's hard to believe that Ocon will not be in that seat next year so um, yeah Williams that drive is still up for grabs and you'd hope that they can organize something sooner rather than later in that regard but going back to the race itself for Brazil it always has the habit of throwing up crazy races crazy results you look back to 2016 for example and you know just sitting through that red flag trying to stay awake and whatnot and then um uh, Max Verstappen's heroics as well that day so yeah pretty 
crucial race, you could say, in that year's championship, but also um, just the rain. As soon as the rain hits, uh, it just turns wild, and we already got rain forecast for this weekend there at Interlagos, so yeah, um, perhaps it's going to be another wet and wild one. It does combine just with the circuit's traditional characteristics, and that is at odds with the the off-track factors I alluded to off off the top and the idea that perhaps this race has only got a, a year to run and, and the way Liberty will be taking the bill for promotion of this event won't be currying too much favour with the other promoters, the other circuits out there and, and all of these dramas we've had probably, whether it's had more publicity or it's just becoming outright more prominent with personnel coming under fire as soon as they leave the the paddock it's a real issue and you'd hope that there's not a repeat of it this year otherwise you would have to think it might just be the last time we we visit what's been a a great circuit for the sport it's just a shame that this could be something which um, alongside the lack of a Brazilian driver on the grid which is is also given the uh, popularity of the sport in the country a hit you'd hope that they're able to find a solution yeah exactly and the safety thing is another big one where um they've got to be real careful um obviously last year we heard that thing about the mercedes mechanics and i think it was another team involved as well so um if it happens again this year you'd think that no one's gonna tolerate that of course and um that could be it for the race itself but yeah you'd think that if there was some kind of future for this event at this circuit that there would be those security measures put in place and everything. So otherwise, I'm sure Liberty won't be looking to exit the region altogether. There's talks of Rio perhaps returning there for a race. And Argentina, I think. And Argentina as well, even though it's not in Brazil, but um, still sticking to that South American region. So it's quite an important market. And of course, just history-wise, there's so much history involved with F1 and in um, South America. Fangio, of course, being Argentinian then you'd look at all the Brazilian drivers we've had and yeah I guess not having a Brazilian driver on the grid this year for the first time in a while um, has hurt a little bit you could say of Felipe Massa retiring at the end of last year and perhaps the only driver that's sort of somewhat close a Brazilian driver somewhat close to getting on the F1 grid is Sergio Sede Camara who gets a McLaren test role for next season so the F2 driver stepping up there. So, yeah, still a while away before he would be able to make his debut. But, yeah, the lack of a, Brazil, a Brazilian driver, sorry, does, you know, take away that attention. And we saw that with um, Italy as well. Not having an Italian driver on the grid too is uh, was a bit, bit of a travesty after we saw Truly retire. Yeah, well, six or seven years and finally they get a full-timer with Giovinazzi at Sauber. And I think there was a bit of talk as well for... Brazil that Pietro Fittipaldi might be getting an outing at the uh, the young driver test, whether that would lead to a permanent tie-up maybe with Haas. I think they might have mentioned that he might get a, a foot in the door there and that would be a great sign when you see what he's he's done. He's had that, that wreck he had at Spa and the Endurance Championship, but he's recovered from that nicely. And, and anyone from the area, you can see how passionate... Brazilians are that South American area they they if they can find a hero and get around them and they're successful then they've got it made and Liberty will be really pushing hard for that market to endure and not just only for the Fittipaldi name as well of course uh, one that's uh, entrenched within a lot of um, folklore in F1 with Emerson the great man and his uh, 
being the first ever Brazilian world champion um, in F1. So, yeah, certainly that would be great uh, for them too. And remember, think back to when we had no French drivers in F1 for quite some time either. And then all of a sudden we had Grosjean make his return. We had Jean-Éric Verne, Charles Pique, and then the likes of Bianchi and Pierre Gasly. So we got like a French revolution basically in F1 after complaining about... And then they went and took each other out at the French Grand Prix. They they were all clearly (laughs) fiercely patriotic about it. Just last man standing. Yeah, one of probably the lesser lights of this year with uh, Ocon, Gasly all taking each other out um, at the start of that one. Grosjean involved too. So, yeah, it'll be great in that respect to, to see that um, them back. But as far as the race is concerned for this year, it's just, yeah, another one of those ones where it's going to be hard to watch, of course, being at 4 o'clock in the morning for us here on the East, East Coast, but also the lack of a championship being the focus so you know just going out for the race win if it's a surprise result you can get behind it but you know if it's going to be a procession then um yeah very difficult to to actually get behind it but um you know we're getting close to the end of the year anyway end of the season so not long before we'll be thinking ahead to next year it's a nice time of the year once that disappointment has worn off and it was probably a while coming despite that letdown from all that optimism we had till a certain point and uh, probably should have been pretty well versed in it from 12 months ago but as it is um, that hole that it does leave in the the year having that structure of the races um, it does it does feel like a shame to see it's winding down but it just means that we're even more hopeful again that 2019 can finally deliver yeah looking forward to a new year new challenge and I guess the the new regulations as well as to whether that's going to actually shake up the the top end of the grid a little bit and um, put someone else in front so let's go over the news then quickly for the week in the digest and um, big news I guess coming out yesterday was um the vietnam grand prix confirmed for 2020 um hanoi street circuit joining the calendar it's liberty media's first ever grand prix that they've um curated themselves it's on on a multi-year deal so um yeah hard not to get excited about this one given that it's another race in the asia region um easy for us to get to i guess from here and um the circuit itself looks quite interesting a lot of straights on there yeah, you could say it's straight and more straights and, you know, two and a half kilometres, something like that it looks like. And for, for what it is, it's a bit of a, a semi-replacement, you could say, for Malaysia, which has been missed. That was very popular in that region. So twinning this up somewhere around that time with Singapore and it's been in the pipelines for a while. So you would hope that once it comes on onto the circuit, onto the calendar, that it has its place on the grid. And as far as promotion goes for Liberty, even though they did have that fall through, you might say, with the the Miami Grand Prix, they were really pushing hard for the presence in their home market. You'd hope that this one, at least, it's a sign for them building towards 2021 when they really bring on the new regulations. And that's the moment when you'll say Liberty truly owns the sport. But moving on to that, moving on from one circuit which is joining the calendar in Vietnam to one with very historic prestige and one which has been very contentious in recent years, there's a very good chance that the 2019 
British Grand Prix will be the final one at Silverstone, as it stands. That contract, which um, the get-out clause essentially was invoked by Silverstone's promoters in the previous months, and in lieu of any kind of agreement with Liberty, unless they can come to an arrangement on a a better financial terms for 2020 and beyond, there's a real chance that it's going to fall off the grid, and it would be a great shame, but it's just in line with all the other circuits, and as much as it has its historical aspect, and it's got Lewis Hamilton as a draw card, you've seen other circuits like Germany in the past, even though it does come back on biannually, um, it just shows that there's no room for sentiment, and I think that uh, Liberty really, when it comes down to it, they're not that sentimental in their own regard when they've got a business to run and they'll be looking to make every dollar they can. So if Silverstone ends up being a casualty, then I'm sure they'll find a suitable replacement. Yeah, well, I guess being the whole sentimental debate, um, we sort of criticised the BRDC at the time when they announced that they were going to activate that break clause for perhaps not showing a little bit more patience with um, Liberty having just come in at the time and then they were renegotiating with a few other circuits as well and I'm sure Silverstone would have been on their agenda to get a cut price deal happening. So that was, um, I guess they took fate into into their own hands at that time, you could say, and um, I guess they're just reaping what they're sowing at the moment. They're reaping what they've sown at that time. So um, Sean Ratches, his plan... Liberty's plan perhaps to replace the Silverstone Grand Prix with a London Grand Prix. They've always talked about having a race in the city, um, downtown London, of course, and they talk so much about how those city hubs, those city circuits is what gets those big crowds, you know. If they could have something like an Albert Park or a Montreal elsewhere in the world, um, that's where the big draw card's going to be as far as um, accessibility and getting a lot of people involved. But, um, yeah, you know, if if Silverstone has to go, it has to go. There's not much we can do about it. And you can see its reputation probably took a bit of a beating from what happened on two wheels with that washout for MotoGP and all the talk of MotoGP years after it was meant to happen, moving to an alternative, not Wales or Donington, but it looks like that they might be sourcing an alternative venue in their own right. Perhaps it's just a, a sign that all of this top flight motorsport will be heading out the door from Silverstone as sad as it would be to see and I'm sure a Grand Prix around London if it can be done right will be hugely successful. Well doesn't that then just um, not to get all political here but doesn't that just say that yell out to you that it's just the way that the circuit's being managed you could say is the issue here that you know they're going to lose two premier motorsports even though Silverstone sort of took over as the temporary venue for MotoGP after the circuit of Wales couldn't be completed on time and Donington dropped out as well from being a replacement circuit that, you know, it's been unable to look after both of its um, motorsports. And I guess the whole, during the CBC's era and Bernie Eccleston, it was a bit bit difficult for them as far as finances were concerned, but just showing a bit of patience with Liberty would have perhaps paid dividends for them in the end. You just hope that they're not getting too prickly with Liberty and they're actually giving Liberty a chance to come back to the table with a reasonable offer and there's got to be some sort of compromise on on either end and again Liberty is probably appreciative of the contribution the circuit has made but they'll be looking long term and I think that's just a realistic outlook for all stakeholders in 
the sport, let alone circuit promoters, have all got to get with it and see the vision which Liberty's attempting to carve out. Yeah, exactly. So we have Vietnam joining the calendar in 2020, Brazil perhaps next year dropping off, Silverstone as well. So, you know, we'll lose a couple, but we'll gain a couple as well. And I'm sure F1 will still be the popular product that it is. And as long as we've still got the likes of Spa and Silverstone, Sorry, not Silverstone, Spa and Monza on hand as well. Um, things will still be fine. But yeah, Silverstone, uh, how they let this happen more or less is the thing that's really puzzling. And I do think a lot of it has to do with the BRDC and not um, being patient enough with Liberty Media. Yes, you can see sometimes they've got to reassess their true worth in the, the big scheme. Yeah, so that's that <laughs> all sorted. Uh, moving it on and... Um, Williams, we know how bad of a year that they've had, and I guess the heads um, continue to roll as they look forward to restructuring for next year. And Rob Smedley, um, the big name to, to fall after the likes of Dirk Beer and Ed Wood earlier in the season. So Smedley gone, um, that popular notion that he follows Felipe Massa wherever he goes, and now Felipe is no longer at Williams, that he's got no home there either. But still, it's a, it's a big loss when you think about it, given that when he came to the team in 2014 from Ferrari as just a race engineer to being a performance engineer for the team all up, um, you know, he was there when they had those um, successful years, 2014, 15, um, 16 to an extent as well, before 17, they just dropped away completely. So, and this year we know it's been as horribilist for them. So, you think that this decision is made with the best interest of uh, putting the team in a better position next year. If not, we'll know more about it in 12 months' time. It did seem to be part of his long-term agenda to wind back those commitments and sure he had that uh, close tie to Felipe Massa, so it's logical now that he makes his departure, but it doesn't speak too greatly for that culture at Williams, whether he would have been inclined to stick around for some resurgence. Clearly, He's seen enough to decide that he doesn't want to continue there and you can only hope Williams has someone lined up to, to bring them forward instead of falling further into the rut just like McLaren has. And it's, again, just a, another example of how far these great outfits have fallen in a relatively short space of time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, McLaren in many ways, you could say it's a similar but not too similar situation, I guess, with them. It was more so the realisation this year that, you know, it wasn't the power unit that was the issue in the first place. There's a fundamental flaw in the chassis, which I guess going back to 2013, we've been dealing with this problem. So no matter how many heads have rolled in the meantime since 2013 with McLaren, they still seem to not have made any inroads. And yeah, you know, how many years it will take now to get themselves out of that slump. And Williams, you hope they can do it again because... They did, you know, as we saw in 2014, 2013 was pretty tough for them. And then 2013, sorry, 2014, they managed to turn things around, finish third in the Constructors or fourth in the Constructors, I think it was. So um, it can show you that just all it takes is having the right people in place and um, they can make those um, inroads. And it'll come down to the drivers too next year, of course. And we already know George Russell will be there, but it would be nice for Esteban Ocon, for example, to be there as well, given his experience. If not, then Robert Kubica for his experience too in developing um, a solid package. 
Well, the important thing for both of the outfits is that they do it right, and you can see with McLaren, they've got a pretty handy line-up there, embracing the future, at least in Norris, and someone who's a steady set of hands in science and for Williams there's a little bit more optimism than this season when they seem to just have the dollar signs in their eyes but looking more medium term it's not going to happen overnight so you'd hope the next two years they they use that just to to get themselves back off the floor and make a proper tilt from 2021 but they've just got to have their respective houses in order for that to be the case yeah if if even 2021 which still seems like an eternity away for for an f1 fan who wants to see some change on the grid so um quickly wrapping it up and ferrari yeah we can go on about their year and more so the internal struggles that they're having and maritza of um forced to deny um the potential exit of Matteo Binotto, labelling it as fake news and whatnot. And this just seems to be a, a story that every week has some kind of new twist to it. So, yeah, you know, you kind of get sick of hearing the same thing. And given the instability that, I guess, first it was the departure of James Allison, then they filled that hole with Binotto, and of um, uh, what do you call it? Promoting him from the engine department. Now things have they had a solid package this year, but then things fell away. You just want them to sort of get on with the job with the same team that they have, and not just keep chopping and changing. Being Ferrari, though, you can see as soon as the the flag drops after Abu Dhabi that there'll be an announcement. At least one of them will be moving aside, and would be no surprise after all that speculation that Bonotto being hot demand and again Mercedes have made quite a good habit of taking on the talent from Ferrari and using them to bolster their stocks even further and the irony wouldn't be lost if Bonotto slides in with the likes of Costa and and co even to the top with um, Dieter Zich uh, stepping back in the coming year or so that they're, they're lining up for the next crop to come in and just take their place and Ferrari will once again be left ruin why they couldn't just make what is on paper a very good combination there click exactly and mercedes again dominating through another set of regulations so it's not going to ever end and we'll have george russell a world champion in the mercedes um long after lewis hamilton retires and toto wolf just um bathing in the uh <laughs> rewards that he's been getting currently so yeah ferrari again a lot to i guess ponder over the off season heading into next year and again we're gonna come into next year they'll win the first race for example but having been through it for two years already in a row, not be convinced until the mid-season break. It's it's Belgium where the championship begins, and if they can't start rolling from there, then, yeah, you know, we can't award a championship based off half a season's results. Well, Mercedes has earned the right to defend again, and until they are officially knocked off the perch and it's mathematically impossible they'll win neither title, then it's hard to see it changing any time until essentially that 2021 again is the magic time where i think mercedes by default is the team to beat exactly so and that's credit to mercedes with what they've done over the past few years um they've really built a dynasty for themselves and if it continues beyond the end of this current era and pass into 2021 then wow you know the way that they've set up that team from i guess coming out of what was the the par honda team and then Braun GP's uh, dizzying heights to this all-powerful juggernaut that is Mercedes. Um, it's just quite fascinating to think about when you when you look at it 
um, I guess, holistically and everything. But anyway, that's enough about F1. Let's go to supercars and talk about uh, the Auckland Super Sprint, um, given that the championship in supercars is still very much alive and it looks like it is going going down to the wire in Newcastle. So um, Scott McLaughlin won the JR Trophy, the Jason Richards Memorial Trophy that they have for the Auckland round at Pukekohe. He was second and then won on... Sunday, um, beating Jamie Wincup in the pit stops crucially to, to take that win. And I guess it was a crucial win for McLaughlin given that the last few rounds, even though in the Enduros they were quite strong, McLaughlin and Prema, they've not actually won a race and um, just managed to steal back the points lead in at the Gold Coast from Shane Van Gisbergen. Yeah, just hitting his stride at the right time with that imperative from the home crowd, you can see in hindsight that podium at Bathurst was a bit of a fire starter for McLaughlin just to get really back into to gear, and he's looked really quite formidable. You could say at um, Gold Coast really seemed to be switched on, and for all the talk that the Triple Eight there have just had the outright superior package, they've really been pegged back a little bit recently, and there's there's every chance I think that. Um, Shell, DJRTP have what it takes now to, with the the benefit you could say as well, particularly for McLaughlin, learning those lessons from 12 months ago and be a lot more composed heading into these final events at Newcastle. Exactly, and I guess it's sort of amping up as well as far as the intensity is concerned because we had a lot of controversy there in Auckland as well. So Shane Van Gisbergen in the Saturday race um, was caught um, having spun his wheels in pit lane, which is a big no-no. You get a drive-through penalty immediately for that. And he actually copped a five-second penalty for some... Uh, sorry, a drive-through penalty for something else earlier in the race and um, still ended up coming back to win. And it was after that that the stewards started investigating this wheel spin thing and um, they concluded that there was insufficient evidence to prove that it had turned a full rotation or whatever if that's even a thing you know like if they've banned wheel spinning in pit lane um, during a pit stop due to safety that a moving wheel could be dangerous then it shouldn't matter how much it moves it's if it moves that's it so and we saw David Reynolds unfortunately penalized at Bathurst with a with a numb foot or whatever because he couldn't feel his foot and he accidentally hit the pedal um, for that so yeah for Van Gisbergen to escape a penalty there just um, seemed really unthinkable and this idea of <laughs> this conspiracy theory that the stewards perhaps helping Red Bull out a little bit there was some questions about how at the Gold Coast on the Saturday race how Dumbrell and Wincup were not penalised for turning Prema around in the first few laps and I guess that's what denied um, McLaughlin the win there that day he could have easily won um, the first leg of the Gold Coast if it wasn't for being spun around by Dumbrell and potentially eliminating him because the way he hit the wall that day, it's like, ooh, how the hell are they still racing here? So, yeah, it could have been a DNF that would have been quite crucial. doesn't read well to the outsiders, but at the, the same moment, you can probably understand from the officials' point of view, they, they try and limit the sanctions to the point where it's completely destroyed a race, so I'd rather let them carry on with it and... That's one they're going to have to close off as far as loopholes go for the 360 rotation. It should just be carte blanche next year. Any rotation, it could be one or two degrees for all we care. And that, in the the letter of the book, is 
what you constitute as wheel spinning, but there will always be people, if especially if Van Gisbergen prevails with the title, that claim that he won the championship on the basis of this decision. Well, considering that if there was some kind of penalty applied or whatever, uh, McLaughlin could have easily had a 95-point lead coming out of just the Saturday race um, at Pukekohe. So the fact that, yet yeah, it was nowhere near that goes to show you that depending on how many, how many points the title is won or lost by in Newcastle, that, yeah, it is quite crucial. And then things boiled over to Sunday with a door gate, as I've coined it, um, between Van Gisbergen and McLaughlin again. So pulling up in Park Ferme, apparently SVG blocked McLaughlin in. Uh, McLaughlin had to bang his door against uh, the Red Bull car a bit to actually get his attention to move out of the way. So whether that's just mind games or um, what it is, uh, every... A lot of people have said, oh, you're reading too much into it and whatnot. And I didn't really pay attention until this actually became a headline. I didn't even realise it during the Park Ferme procedure. But yeah, it turned into a big thing after the race. And I'm like, what what actually happened? I didn't even see it. So again, one of those uh, little nuances of a championship battle where things are getting a bit intense and I guess it felt a bit bad also that the Kiwi crowd were booing Van Gisbergen after that when they realised what had happened and booing Win Cup too because he pulled aside to let Van Gisbergen finish second at the end of the race on on Sunday as well to maximise his points so yeah just a lot of uh, negativity around and I guess this is where things are going to boil over come Newcastle. You can't blame Triple Eight for playing that card, regardless of whether that is frowned upon. We know Formula One's history with it, and it's pretty inevitable they'll find a way to manufacture it, despite an official story conserving fuel, having to slow down to the effect of eight seconds in the final two corners. Yes, that that's the official line, but in the scheme of the championship, it's completely logical, and it's probably as spiteful as the, the two teams are going to get you can see that they they still are all about going out there and having a clean fight and it's really just good to see yet again that these two teams are are leading the way and you can only hope that it's on the the last race this year they can both um, be unaffected by any kind of carnage and it it really is um, the best man on the day holds up that trophy. Yeah, well, as we saw last year in Newcastle, it all unfolded for McLaughlin, who was the favourite to win, going even into Sunday, and yeah, it all just unfolded for him in those last few laps. So, um, yeah, speaking about the best team, Red Bull win the team's title, I guess, after last year they lost out to the Shell V-Power guys, the DJR team Penske, so this year they've come back, and I think it's their eighth um, title, team's title that they've won, so congratulations to those guys and the job that they've done so unfortunately I guess for DJR Team Penske they just haven't had that support they would have liked from Fabian Coulthard's side of the garage this year a bit of a tough year for him only one win to his credit too so I guess that's where you know these teams championships are won or lost um, except unless you're Mercedes who will still win it even if the second driver hasn't won a race so yeah, these teams' championships won off the back of both drivers really performing and Wincup and Van Gisbergen have done a, an amazing job all year. The squeeze will be on Coulthard coming off contract in 12 months to up his game to the extent where he was really 12 months ago for the majority of that season. He was giving McLaughlin a, 
a run for his money, and there's going to be a lot of candidates lining up for that second seat at DGRTP for 2020 if they continue into the, the Mustang era since they've gone testing with uh, just for the first time, we'll mention in a, in a moment, you think that if that's successful, then that's going to be the hottest seat in town. Yeah, you'd think so, given that it's at one of those top teams or top three to big three that they're kind of calling it, even though Walkinshaw aren't really up there just yet. So, like, you've got Triple Eight, you've got DGR, Penske, and then Walkinshaw, Andretti United. They'll have a bit of a stranglehold on the championship, you think, in a couple of years' time. But, yeah, quickly, Mustang, they revealed the images the other day, uh, yesterday, sorry, um, from the prototype tests that they had at Queensland Raceway. So what are our first thoughts then on the, the look of the new car? Certainly not, I guess, completely exactly like the Mustang road car, but we know that they've had to undertake several modifications to actually make it uh, race legal in supercars. It's very hard to get a read at this early stage, particularly in that essential quasi, um, you'd call it a camo mode for the Ford decals. Do you really see it in race trim with respective liveries and out there on an actual circuit with the other cars where it fits in alongside the... uh, the Opels, which are the Commodores, <laughs> and the Ultimas, which are now literal fossils, then that that's really the moment where people are going to love it or, or hate it. And the early feedback doesn't seem to be the greatest, but as with all um, important moments in the history of of the sport, it's the same with Formula One, whatever it might be. You just got to give things time. And um, yes, it does look a lot more Americanized, but that's just the way that the sport is heading. Yeah, well, given that Walkinshaw want to bring the Camaro to Australia too, so yeah, prepare for a bit of a American flavour on the on the grid. So, um, yeah, I actually thought it looked all right on on first glance, but yeah, as you say, when you get the respective liver, respective liveries on the cars, um, it will look a whole lot better. And one man who won't be driving a Mustang, you'd reckon next year will be Mark Winterbottom, who um, last week announced that he he's going to be parting ways with Tickford. So. If 13-year partnership ends with you know a championship in 2015 also Bathurst win in 2013 and I guess yeah being a man who driver sorry who's uh, been synonymous with Ford for his whole career basically in supercars and with the same team mind you as well given its different guises over the years um, it is kind of going to be a bit strange to see him in different colors and especially if he's switching over to a Holden as well probably can't blame him considering that dynamic the way it does seem on the outside that he's been marginalized a bit from the heights he was when he won that title and as far as being the future of Tickford, Chas Mostert and then you've got Cameron Waters trying to become a permanent uh, fixture within that team but clearly they haven't been quite the the heights of where they were back then and they've, they've got a lot of sorting out to do at Tickford and, and the Mustang project, that that's their first step in moving forwards again. So it mightn't be a bad thing for Winterbottom in his twilight to move somewhere else. And even if it does mean crossing that divide, then if it gets him some some bigger back, then so be it. But that will be the big question: where whether he ends up at a team that probably hasn't had the most success in recent years. Yes, well, Team Eighteen is the the word, and they've in their, I guess, tenure in supercars haven't had much success at all, you could say. So ever since Charlie Schwerkholtz, uh 
Wreck became independent and they were their own entity. Yeah, they've just not really had the rub of the green and no wonder Lee Holdsworth has decided to, to quit that team at the end of this year, given all the lack of success that they've had. So, you know, could um, the arrival of Winterbottom perhaps galvanise them and um, put them in contention for those podiums that they want or top five results? So we'll just have to wait and see. But um, wrapping it up anyway, so 14 points is what separates Van Gisbergen and McLaughlin with uh, McLaughlin leading the the championship. So yeah, it's going to be one to just. It won't be over till it's over because that's what happened last year, and we thought we had seen it all before we'd saw saw what happened in Newcastle last year. So yeah, given what happened between McLaughlin and then taking Lowndes out, and then that was it. Win Cup had enough points to to win. Um, yeah, you just got to wait till the checkered flag to see uh, who will be champion. At least in this category, since Formula One and MotoGP has failed so dismally for multiple years running now, this one, for most parts, tends to run the course. So it, it, it's nice to see that on that final Sunday, it's all going to be there to play for. Exactly. So, um, And that's on the same weekend as Abu Dhabi this year as well. So they get a bit of a... a vacation before we head off to to Newcastle so yeah just can't wait for that finale to come and we got MotoGP on next weekend as well their finale in Valencia so just quickly with the the race in Malaysia over the weekend a bit depressing that uh, Valentino Rossi crashed out um, from the lead of the race with four laps remaining and Mark Marquez despite a grid penalty still ended up winning so um, dizzying heights for him even though he's already wrapped up the championship but yeah just a disappointment for Rossi in that regard. Been one of those years for him. Yeah if he doesn't win a race this year then yeah it's his first winless season since he came back to Yamaha and the last time he went through a season without winning a race was when he was still at Ducati for that um, two year uh, tenure that just didn't really yield anything so well, you'd hope that at Valencia there's a chance for him to not uh, to break that streak that goes back to Assen last year but yeah otherwise you'd think that they'd just be focusing on 2019 and hoping to catch up with the with Honda and with Ducati yes and all that the talk of next year whether Lorenzo takes it to Marquez on a Honda Oh, yeah, and that's um, going to be pretty big when he jumps onto that Honda at after Valencia for the test. So remember, the MotoGP season always begins two, season, two days after the final race with that first, uh, um, with the postseason test where those riders get to ride their new machinery for next year. So, yeah, Lorenzo on board a Honda, that's going to be quite interesting. <laughs> Something different altogether. I don't think we saw that coming until very recently. Well, yeah, it, it was hard to pick it um, when we had the silly season early in the year. I thought it was, that was it. You know, he would probably end up on a satellite bike or whatever. But, yeah, to land a factory Honda gig, it's it's pretty big. But, um, anyway, more food for thought for next time and, of course, for looking ahead to next year. But as it is Brazil this weekend, hopefully it's a, a, a race worth talking about next week. We've got half an hour to 45 minutes to fill for you. So, yeah, we want to actually have some good content to to discuss. So thanks for joining us this time, and we'll, we'll see you guys in a week. Till then.